0: Because we are going to be talking about two key ingredients that we can add to any relationship, I would say especially marriages, but any relationship we can add to these these two key ingredients that comes from scripture, that in whatever relationship with with a spouse, with a parent, with a mother-in-law, Um, with a co-worker, that if we add these two ingredients, Scripture says there's something about the soul of men and women that I've created that will feed the relationship, grow the relationship, encourage the relationship. And uh, Everybody Loves Raymond seems to be the opposite of these two key ingredients. And these key ingredients come from Ephesians 5. You don't have to turn there. Actually, we're going to turn to the Old Testament, the book of Ruth. If you want to start, it's hard to find. You can start looking for that. Um, But in Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit is a chapter where he talks about walking in love. What does it look like to walk in love? And then he turns to marriage. And many would consider this the greatest treatise on marriage in all of scripture. And so when you have this moment when it's the greatest treatise in all of scripture on a particular thing, we want to pay especial attention to. To these things, all right? And he gives this beautiful writing of this marriage relationships, and then Ephesians 5:32 and 33 is a summation of the greatest treatise on marriage, and he says this: he's talking about um, Christ and the church, and how that's a picture of our relationships, our marriage relationships, and he says, this is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church, how Christ loves his bride. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, a little bit of the second greatest commandment that we've talked about, and the wife must respect her husband. What are those two key ingredients found in that passage of Scripture? Do You see them right there? One is respect. What's the other? And love. Saying that um, if we add these two, and notice, go back to that passage of Scripture, notice that the Apostle Paul doesn't give these as suggestions, does he? He says, if you're going to live the life that God has called you to, these aren't suggestions. In fact, you could say that these are commands that we are to follow is to love and respect one another. Now, for me, this brings up the million-dollar question. If these are commands, then what do we do How do we love when someone's not being very loving? Is that a fair question? Right? How about this? How do we show honor and respect if someone is not living very honorably? How do we show respect if someone is not giving back to us? Respect do we still follow those commands? When the person, whether it's a coworker or a child or a spouse, do we still have to follow that, Paul? We'll come back to those million-dollar questions. Well, let's answer those questions. There's a, a pastor and author, Dr. Eddie Egerich, and he was meditating on this very passage of Scripture. And he wrote a book simply entitled, Love and Respect. And actually, it's become, a, you could say, a movement. He's now retired from pastoral ministry, and he just encourages. And there's been uh, many churches and small groups that have done this study, Love and Respect... In fact, he would argue that there's something in the soul of the man in particular that longs for respect. And as that that is given, there's some dynamic that happens within the soul. And there's something in the soul of a woman that longs to be cherished. And when we add that, there's something beautiful that happens. Now that's not to say that as human beings, women don't need respect and men don't need love. I've discovered I long for both. In my soul, I long for both of those. Um, Dr. Egerich also gives a very helpful practical example that uh, helps us to see the difficulty in living out these two simple ingredients and he calls it the crazy cycle. And what the crazy cycle is, is that when we, there'll be an instance when someone in a relationship, whether it be marriage or, or, or a father and son or mother and son, whoever that is, or, or in a relationship, a good friendship, your best friend, your, your, your sacred companion, whatever that is, we do something that is unloving. And in response... To that unloving act, let's say it's a, a man who does something unloving, the, the wife re- reacts with something that's disrespectful, maybe a word or an action. And then when she does something that's disrespectful, the man gets upset and he reacts and he does something disrespectful. And then she gets upset and and then she does something that's very unloving. And around and around the cycle goes. Can you relate to that at all? Am I the only broken one that can relate to the crazy cycle that's there. In fact, Dr. Egerich would say, this is an element in just about every relationship and every marriage that we can get to that point where we're on the crazy cycle and we're just running on the wheel, running on the wheel. So really the question is, how in the world Do we break the cycle? How in the world do we get off this ongoing cycle as we're doing this back and forth, back and forth, and around we go and around we go? I think there's a story in Scripture that beautifully illustrates these two ingredients in real life, this love and this... uh, honor, and respect. And it's found in the book of Ruth. Would you turn with me there? Uh, Have brought your Bibles wonderful. There are some Bibles located in the seats in front of you. Uh, Ruth is a small little book in front of Judges. uh, I'm sorry, after Judges and in front of 1 Samuel. And let me give you a little bit of context. Naomi is the mom and her and her husband with two sons. They move from Israel to Moab just east of Israel. And uh, economically they move there and her two sons, Naomi's two sons, they find wives in Moab. Uh, unfortunately, they're called Moabitists. Moabites, yes, that's really, so they marry Moabites, all right? Um, and they have this family, husband, wife, uh, sons married to Moabite women, and then tragedy strikes, um, all three of the men are killed. The husband, the two sons, um, or they die. They pass away. Naomi, in great bitterness and great sorrow, is going to return to her her people, her homeland, is Israel, and she sang to her two daughter-in-laws, Orpah and Ruth. Please. Don't follow me. Don't come with me. There's nothing for you in this foreign land. I'm releasing you. Go back with your parents. And so we pick up the story after the three die. Verse 14 in chapter 1, it says, At this they wept aloud. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. But Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to return back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging I believe these are some of the most beautiful words in all of scripture. That what they do here is they demonstrate this unconditional love of God that he's poured out in our lives. He's demonstrating that in a human relationship to a mother-in-law, no less, right? Again, maybe why I thought of everybody loves Raymond. Is that there was something in this bond there's something in this relationship that that Ruth loves. would you say this is a sacred companionship? Would you say this is a, a, a kindred friendship like we're talking about? And she's saying these words and it's and probably this is one of the primary reasons that the book of Ruth is is held in the Old Testament that we can see the love of God between two individuals beautifully expressed, a love that looks so different than the world's understanding of love. And, and really you could say we, we've talked about the, the four forms of love that there's agape here, the love of God, this unconditional, grace-filled love, phileo, you've got sisterly and brotherly love, storge, family love, all of that is flowing from Ruth to her mother-in-law. Now, now let's, let's hold this kind of love in comparison to the kind of love we usually see in the world. In the world or our culture says you need to choose wisely the people that you love. Not just in marriage, but just in your general life, choose right, wisely, right? If they're hurtful, if they're painful, that is an unhealthy relationship. You step away, you don't do that, you don't do that. Scripture says, not exactly. Instead of choosing people, Scripture says, choose love. Instead of choosing, choosing some or one or a few to love, Scripture says, no, 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 don't choose this person or that person. Your life, choose love. Let me get at this point in another way. Let me ask you the question who are you supposed to love in your life right now? What do you think? I think the the obvious answer is, well, those who love me back. Those who, like, love me well, right? Isn't that normally how? What if we were to ask Jesus that question? You know where I'm going with this? In fact, Jesus would say this, but love your enemies. <clears throat> that word, just that Greek word is agape, agape, agapeo. Love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be, you will be children Daughters and sons of the most high because God is kind to the grateful and to the righteous were you following along is that what scripture says what does scripture say God will be kind to or is kind to who just read it out The ungrateful and wicked. So who is God kind to? The ungrateful and the wicked? Who are you called to be kind to? Mm. Eeks. Now when you're kind to the ungrateful, when you're kind when someone is unkind to you, When someone is wicked to you, you know whose child you are? Whose child are you? You look like your dad. You look like your father in heaven. Why? Because that's who he is. Do you realize what what scripture is doing, what, what Jesus is doing, he's saying, I'm calling you to a different kind of love. I'm not calling you to, the, to a good love like the world loves. No, no, no. I'm calling you to a love that can only be lived out if you get how much your Father in heaven loves you. In fact, Jesus goes on in this section and he compares the world's love to a biblical love, a godly love, and he says this. He says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. He's saying that's not good enough. That's not what I'm calling you, just to be a loving person to those who love you back. No, I'm calling you to something much higher, much more beautiful than that. And if you do good to those who are good to you what credit is that to you even sinners do that even the wicked do that even the people who are i just kind of so so people they love the people that love them i'm calling you to something more now i don't mean to brag But there's times when I love my wife really well. You know what those times are? When she's loving me well. Yes? Now, there are times when I don't love her so well. You know what those times are? When she's not loving me well. Right? And there is no way that I am going to love her well when she is not being loving to me. Right? And let's talk about honor and respect. When she's not respectful to me, does she really expect that I'm gonna honor and cherish her? What just happened? I'm back, go back to that crazy cycle. I'm right there, I'm right there. Do you see what scripture is doing? See, the world locates the answer of the question, who should you love based on the character of the individual? And scripture says, no, locate your answer on the character of God. As you have experienced him, so you love others. Not just the lovable, not just the kind not just the righteous. Your Father in heaven is kind even to the wicked, even to the unrighteous. If you want to be like Him, love based on His character and your experience of Him, not on the character of the person that stands before you and across from you. You see, the kingdom life loves one another, not based on a scale of lovability of the person that you're eye to eye with. The beautiful life, the abundant life, the kingdom life, loves based on the character of the Father. Amen? There's a movie that uh, I think most of us missed. In fact, in the first service, only one person had seen this movie called um, Silence. Did anyone see it came out this past Christmas? But it wasn't a lot of theaters. I missed it. I'm waiting for it to come out on DVD. All right. This story, uh, this movie is Silence. It is based on um, a true story of uh, Ignatian priests. I think they were Jesuit priests that go to Japan in a time when it was illegal and life-threatening to be a Christian in Japan. All right. And their lives we're threatened, and it's this story of their mission and their love to the Japanese people laying it all out. And so um, they, they did this movie, and Andrew Garfield was one of the main characters uh, for this movie. Andrew Garfield, he did Spider Man. Do you know Andrew Garfield? Some of you do, yes? And, um, and to get into the part, Andrew Garfield wanted to study. With a Jesuit priest, some of the Ignatian spirituality, like uh, things called the daily examine or imaginative prayer, where you enter into um, a a moment of scripture and you use your senses. And if you're at the the lake with with Jesus, you imagine that you're hearing his voice and the words and and the crowd around them. And the priest that that. Um, Andrew Garfield approached, he initially didn't want to lead him in these dis- disciplines because he didn't think that was right just for, you know, to get into character. And yet he decided to say, okay, because he saw in Andrew Gar- Garfield something deeper, a-, a hunger for something more, not just to enter into a character for a movie, but Andrew Garfield would, would describe it like this. He had a, a sense of not enoughness in his life. That even though he was a famous actor, and growing in wealth and fame, there's this sense of not enough. And so he began to study with this priest. And then he got into character. They did the movie. As, as a way of publicizing the movie, they you know, did interviews and so forth. Well, there's this other interview that I was reading with Andrew Garfield, another priest, and they're in L.A., they're in a coffee shop. And he wanted to interview him specifically about his experience of the Ignatian spirituality. And the priest said, Andrew, what stood out to you? What what are you holding on to from your experience? And this is what he said. What was really easy was falling in love with this person, was falling in love with Jesus Christ. Andrew Garfield. That was the most surprising thing. And the interviewer said he grabbed his chest. He just laughed out loud. He said, God, that was the most remarkable thing. Falling in love and how easy it was to fall in love with Jesus. And he met Jesus studying for the part in this intimate place. And now, friends, here's the deal. Do you know that the Spirit of Christ wants to get hold, he's got a hold of Andrew Garfield now, and he wants to take the love that he experienced in that relationship and well it up in the soul of Andrew Garfield to flow out from him and to affect every single relationship and every single area in Andrew Garfield's life with the love of Jesus. And do you know he wants the same thing for you and for me? To change how we relate, to change how we love, to change dramatically that we would love not based on another person's love. Based on the love of God. And if Andrew Garfield allows him to do that, he will transform his entire life. And friends, if you allow him to do that, he will transform every single relationship from marriage to children to parents to in-laws to enemies. He will transform those relationships and the words you speak and the actions you perform with the love of Christ. Now let me ask you this. Application question. Who is that one person that you need to love better? Would you take a moment? I can't tell you who that is. I can tell you who it is for me. I'm not going to, but I can tell you. I can't tell you who you are. Just between you and the Spirit, who is that one person? That one person that the Spirit would rest on your soul and bring some of that conviction and say, I need you to love, not as the world loves. I'm not calling you to simply to be a good husband or a good wife or a good friend or a co-worker. I'm calling you to be a Christ-centered husband, wife, co Do you have that one person in your mind? Holy Spirit, would you help us get that one person in our soul? And as you think of that one person, just close your eyes. I'm gonna to read to you the greatest treatise of love in all of scripture and it doesn't come even though you've heard this scripture in many weddings, it doesn't come from the context of marriage, it comes from the context of our, our community of faith and our relationships as brothers and sisters in Christ and hold on to that one person in your mind and listen to this, love is patient And love is kind. Do you need to be more patient or more kind to that one person? Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Do you need to be less of some of those? Jealous, boastful, proud or rude to that one person. Love does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. And it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. All right. Now that was one ingredient. We could do enough with one ingredient. But there were two in the great treaties. What was that other one? What was it? Respect. Yes. Yes. That one maybe is a little bit harder for us to get our, our minds around, so we've got to pay attention. I want to show you another life shape or, or picture that um, Dr. Egerich uses in love and respect, and he calls it the rewarded cycle. And he says one of the key ways you get off the crazy cycle is you get on the rewarded cycle, and this is how you do it is you show love to that person you're in relationship. Now look at that. You love regardless of the respect that has been shown you. You see that? And then you give respect regardless of the love. And as you start to do that, not basing behavior on the other person's, but basing behavior. That doesn't mean you never have a difficult conversation. That doesn't mean that you don't wrestle through opinions or, or those kind of things. You do that, but you do that in love and respect. That based on your experience of God, the love and the honor that God has shown you, the respect that the Father has poured upon you, you add those things, and that creates a different cycle, a different wheel, and that begins to to generate and bless and renew every relationship in your life. You see that? Now, how, if we go back to the million-dollar question we asked, how do you love someone that's unlovable? Well, we answered that. with: It's based on not their lovability, but on the love of God. How do you, what about that person who is being dishonorable? What about that person who is being disrespectful? How can we really do it? I mean, doesn't that sound next to impossible to give honor and respect to someone who doesn't deserve it? Thank you for those smiles. Yes. Yeah, it's hard, isn't it? Let's go back to the book of Ruth. I hope you kept your finger in there If we flip over to one chapter, chapter two, and in fact, what Ruth does to Naomi is filled not just with the love of God, but the honor and the respect that should flow from God. And then, they're back in Israel, they don't really have an income. They need to get some food, and Naomi says, would you go to the fields of your kinsman redeemer? The, the, the man, his name is Boaz, and their culture, he could redeem all that they have lost, their land, their resources, and so forth. And she says, pick from his fields. Now it was danger for, dangerous for a young woman, vulnerable, to go into the fields and pick um, the grain that's left over from the harvesters. And yet she says, go to Boaz's field. And when Boaz sees her and he asks who she is, and then pick it up in verse two of chap, uh, chapter two, verse eight. Sorry about that, verse eight. says, "So Boaz says, said to Ruth, "My daughter, listen to me, don't go and glean in another field, and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting." And follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground, of course, with a sign of respect. She asked him, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner? Verse 11, Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother in law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Do you see the dynamic here with Ruth and Naomi, with now Ruth and Boaz, this reward rewarded cycle of love and respect that's flowing, that's filling their relationships. Now it's true that Ruth was living an honorable life. All right, that was part of that. So. Does this include those that are not living respectfully? How are we still called to respect those? And in a similar way to love, I wanna contrast honor and respect with how our culture would honor and respect. If you say, who do you respect? Our culture would say, well, that's obvious. Those who live respectable lives, right? right? Scripture would say calling you to something higher. Don't respect only a few, but respect all. I don't know if there's it's gonna be helpful. Use the language of a base level honor and respect that our, our world misses. Let me ask this question. Who should you respect, only the respectable, only the honorable let's read together first peter 2:17 maybe some of you remember have this highlighted from our study of first peter he said show proper respect to a few come on what is it Everyone. who is that Everyone. are you sure Yes, that's a Greek word, tamao. Love, the family of believers. Fear God, honor, same Greek word, tamao, the emperor. You remember, some of you were here for First Peter. We talked about, wow, that emperor must have been a pretty good dude. For Peter, inspired to write, honor, respect the emperor. Probably it was Emperor Nero, who was mean and nasty and despicable and all the Christians would know it and it was to this emperor that the inspired author of scripture says oh and by the way honor him too how? how do we get there? That, that seems almost like unconditional honor and respect, perhaps unconditional love. We can get our minds around, but how would we get there? Have you ever been at a place where you're in relationship with someone and you are so disgusted by their behavior that you say, Kevin, I have lost all respect for you. Have you ever, I mean, not to Kevin specifically, There was this one time. that No, no, no. (laughs) But have you ever been there? You just said, I have not. I have lost all respect for you. That word all. I have no respect that word no. You see, here's the deal. Regardless of what, I'm going to pick on you again, Kevin. Regardless of what Kevin has done, did you know that Jesus Christ died for Kevin? It was that much honor and respect that he had for Kevin. Did you know that despite whatever Kevin has done, whatever that enemy has done, whatever that that person that is under your skin, whatever they have done, that that individual has been created in the image of God. And when we were created in the image of God, just Think about that for a moment. The honor and the respect that you were wonderfully made. Yes, that image is broken in some ways and it comes out in dishonorable ways in our lives and in our words. Yet that base level of honor and respect that we've been made in the image of our Heavenly Father and that Jesus died for you and me, should change. We don't, as Christians, get to say, I've lost all respect. I have no, no. Do you see? Let me illustrate with this story. It's a true story. of The university prospect, uh, professor, his name was uh, Dr. Chris Gabbard, And he was an advocate, he followed in the contemporary philosopher of Peter Singer who argued that society has the right to exclude certain people who are not persons. Like if there's detection in the womb or they're born and they just have this low quality of life born with severe disability. The philosophy argued that that society, that we as people should have the right to end those lives. And then Dr. Gabbard used to argue he grew up prioritizing intellectual aptitude and detested poor mental functioning. If there was poor mental functioning, that brought people way down on his scale of respectability and honor. And then something happened to the doctor, his son was born and he was severely disabled. His son was born with permanent brain damage. He was a blind, quadriplegic with cerebral palsy and Gabbard writes this in a moving way. It was about the first time he looked at his son. It says, but there was my son, asleep or unconscious, on a ventilator motionless under a heat lamp. Tubes and wires everywhere, monitors alongside his steel and transparent plastic crib. What most stirred me was the way he resembled me. Nothing had prepared me for the shock of recognition for he was the boy in my own baby pictures the image of me when I was an infant. Dr. Chris Scabbard was transformed in that moment. And he has since become an advocate, still is, for the inherent dignity of all people. Even the severely, or I should say, especially the severely disabled human beings. His heart was transformed with the dignity of every individual, regardless of mental capacity, regardless of things done or not done. Friends, here's the deal. I think we are called to see the image of our Father in every individual regardless if they have a, a different opinion to us, regardless if they have been dishonorable towards us, that we are called to honor and love because each and every one of us has been made in the image of Christ and Christ died for them. That should raise our level of honor and respect that we give to one another in the day today. Now let's ask this question again in a similar way. Who should we respect? We don't locate that answer in the character or the quality of the life of the person before us. How do we answer that question? How God has shown us. Honor and respect by creating him and his own us and our his own image. So let me ask you this question. Who in your life do you need to start showing honor and respect? Holy Spirit, would you help us to locate that person? Maybe it's the same person, maybe it's a, a different person. Lord, would you help us not to respond to their behavior, but respond to your truth in our lives. One more scripture. The Romans passage. Some of you might remember this from a couple of weeks ago, Romans 12, 10, where it has these three forms of love. Love, phileo, and storge. Um, is up there love each other with this genuine affection and take delight in honoring again scripture is using love and honor love and respect that is the same root Greek word tamao honor each other can you imagine the testimony of your life if you began loving and honoring people not based on how you what you think they deserve, but based on your experience of God, what a testimony! Can you imagine the testimony of this community of f- if we started loving one another? Not just well in the world's eyes, but in this different kind of love and honor and respect that flows from the throne room of God. Can you imagine the testimony? to our neighbors and our co-workers, and if our neighbors started to feel some of that honor and respect, even those neighbors that just work, they, they've got those dogs that go, no, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> Can you imagine if we loved one another and our co-workers and our neighbors, if we gave honor and to those who gave such a different political picture than we believe to those who wounded wound us by their actions and their words and we don't respond in kind let's go to the final slide stephen i think it's a choice Are we going to live on the crazy cycle in our relationships? Or are we going to live on the rewarded cycle? You see that? Are we going to choose to be people who choose love and respect, love and honor? Or are we simply going to be a people that respond in kind? Let's pray together. Father, we confess that without your spirit, we can't live in this way. Without your presence and your power in our lives, Lord, we we jump on the crazy cycle in a moment. Holy Spirit I say help we say help help us to love one another help us to delight in honoring one another based on our relationship with you in your name we pray amen